Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg with Cinematics. After this episode, you will get most of my interview with Abraham Ben Ruby. You might know Abraham Ben Ruby from the, the series Parker Lewis Can't Lose and ER. Within the last couple months, he's, well, actually, he's had a really good career, but within the last couple months, he's been on my radar on the Cinematics and Find Your Film radar because of two really awesome movies. First one is Christmas Bloody Christmas. The first one is Christmas Bloody Christmas, where he plays a killer robotic Santa. Very cool movie, currently streaming on Shudder. The other movie is more recent, like, you know, just it was released last Friday on, in theaters. It's the Nicolas Cage Western, The Old Way, and he plays one of the one of the bad guys who murders Nicolas Cage's wife in the film. And the, the rest of the movie has him going on a mission along with his daughter, played by Ryan Keir Armstrong, to hunt the gang of four who killed his wife. This gang of four is played by Clint Howard, Noah LeGros, Shiloh Fernandez, and Abraham Ben Ruby. So after this episode, check out my interview with Ben Ruby. We mentioned it a little bit towards the end because me and Eric Holmes do a review of The Old Way. Spoiler alert, both of us really enjoyed the Western. Okay, that, by the way, The Old Way hits premium, premium digital and premium video on demand on Friday, January 13th. For our Cinematics Patreon members, you will be treated, hopefully you'll be treated, if you enjoy the movie The Old Way, you'll be treated to my spoiler discussion of the ending of The Old Way with Ryan Kira Armstrong as well as Ben Ruby. So I'm going to string together those video clips with them and me asking them questions about the end of The Old Way as well. And I'm also going to do a little bit of a mini video on my thoughts on the ending of The Old Way. It's a Western that I really enjoyed. It's an indie Western, so don't expect a huge, big budget what is what was that movie directed by Michael Cimino? Don't expect Heaven's Gate or Once Upon a Time in the West, but even within its budget, it's still a sprawling western. Shot in Montana, it's really beautiful to look at. We'd love to hear what you guys think of the old way. I'm going to be quiet now because here is Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky, and myself on the latest episode of Cinematics. Enjoy it. Take take care, guys, and thanks again for supporting us. Bye. Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it's a new week of Cinematics. This is Cinematics episode 172. Anderson Cowan is not with us right now. He will be with us next week. So we're excited to see Anderson Cowan. But let us let us live in the present with us three. Or, or you know, I, I consider myself a half. Us two and a half. My better co-host is Eric Holmes. Eric Holmes, how are you doing with your find your film backdrop? Are you being a, a revolutionary? Are you trying to usurp this whole cinematics universe with that find your film background image? What is that? Can you tell us? What? I, I mean, the, the, the logo is so cool looking. And I'm just feeling a little nostalgic today. So <laughs> nostalgic. What was, I, I what was Find that, Your Film? What was Find Your Film? I don't remember. Is that a podcast we did or something? Me, you, and Bruce or something? Or I, I think it was like a thrift store of sorts. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I can't, it's been so long, I can't remember. <laughs> it's been so long, I can't remember. Well, Bruce Perky, you are out of us three. You have the best memory. What was Find Your Film? What was it about? Uh, it was about, so this guy would go into restaurants and he would rub his fingers across surfaces and he would try to figure out what the film was, you know, like maybe it was Grease, maybe it was, I don't know, could be a lot of things. Could be a lot of things. Speaking of a lot of things, we will be covering a lot of things this weekend. We, well, not this weekend, this week, we have two films for our featured. The first one is Saint Omer or Saint Omer or however you pronounce it, Saint Omer. This is Francis or Francis official entry to the Oscars for the 95th Academy Award. So this is, this could be a very great movie. So it, this seems like a very classic movie to lead the show off with. And then we have something completely opposite. It's called The Price We Pay. I love Stephen Dorff. There's Emil Hirsch and Gigi Zumbato. She's also in it. I'm going to actually mention something about her during the review. These are our two main reviews, night and day movies. Eric Holmes, are you going to surprise us regarding these two films? Just overall teaser alert on your overall reaction when, when you put the price we pay and St. Omer and you mix them up and you get a gumbo. What, what do you get? What kind of meal do you get? Ooh, wow. I don't know. <laughs> You don't know. You get a, you're, you're the cook. You're you get the a, chef. You're the you're the arti- artisan. Arti- artisan. Artisan. What what, right. what do we get? Uh, you get a you get a trumped up uh, ramen. I guess. Uh, 
You get trumped up ramen. <laughs> Bruce, I am disappointed with Eric Holmes this week. You know why? Because Eric Holmes is our hot take. It's, he's hot take Holmes. He's he's the one who's been driving all the numbers to cinematics. What do you think about that? He talked about the, the Avatar with the 3D glasses. That's received over 3,000 listens. And he talked about The Last Jedi being the, the last Star Wars movie, the best Star Wars movie. He got like another several thousand. Bruce, are you and I inconsequential as well as Anderson Cowan to cinematics? Should, should we just go hot take Holmes for about 60 minutes? What do you think? <laughs> hot take. I do. I think we should go hot take Holmes. I will keep trying to devise more hot takes for him as I'm listening and I'll be able to identify the hot take. That oh, he speaking needs of, to take. Spe- oh, oh, I got a hot take right now. Bruce, Berkey. I, I, I know I, for our Find Your Film podcast, it's still alive, by the way. I'm doing physical media reviews, Blu-ray and DVD reviews. Eric and Bruce are also contributing as far as physical media stuff. So we are breathing in the Find Your Film universe. And thank you, Eric Holmes, uh, on a serious note, to actually having that desktop image of our beautiful Find Your Film logo at the back of your, your thing. That's really cool. Find Your Film still is alive. If you're interested in physical media, please check out our Find Your Film podcast. Our Find Your Film Facebook page, I'm starting for the first time in months to start posting on that. And every week, if you are a fan of Blu-rays and DVDs, like the Find Your Film page, and you are pretty much going to be part of a weekly Blu-ray and DVD giveaway right on that Find Your Film page. For our cinematics, every weekend, I also give give away Blu-rays and DVDs to our cinematics Facebook group members. So whether it's Cinematics Facebook group or the Find Your Film Facebook page, if you want to join both, you have a double chance of actually getting some physical media. Eric Holmes, how long can I keep this up before I lose money, before I hemorrhage money, sending DVDs and Blu-rays to our wonderful cinephilia friends, our our, our movie buff friends? Not going to take long. Probably already happened. Probably already happened, yes. I am actually taking from the uh, Find Your Film slush fund, and Bruce and Eric do not know we actually have a slush fund worth up to $500,000, and I'm actually just taking it. Did, Bruce, did you know that we have $500,000 in Find Your Film cinematics money that I haven't given to any of you guys in Anderson? Did you know that? 500000 what kind of dollars? Let's get, let's get <laughs> doll that. Hairs. Do, doll, doll hairs. Doll hairs. Hot take, Bruce. Look, I got this for $1.25. I don't know if you guys can see it right now. The Godfather Part 2 on DVD, it's only $1.25. And you know what's great about the, this Godfather 2 Part 2, Bruce Perky? You know what's great about this? Is it is it in full screen? It well, Okay. First of all, okay. You don't want this full screen stuff. It's a DVD. Please do not make fun of past generations or iterations of physical media. There are people here who now collect VHS tapes for a lot of money. This is a sealed Godfather Part 2. DVD and no, it's not on full screen. It says widescreen collection. We remember Bruce, we back in the day, people who collected DVDs, there were are some really good DVDs and there's some really great special features about this. But what I'm excited about this, I got I only got this for a dollar twenty-five. And for all intents and purposes, the popular thing is don't you think the Godfather Part Two is the best Godfather out of them all? I've been told it's three. So I'm gonna go with the uh, expert here since I don't think I've seen three, so I have to trust his judgment on that. Bruce, where is that air horn sound effect? We need it right now. Hashtag Holmes. What is it? Godfather Part 2. Best best uh, Godfather, right? That's the logical answer, correct, Air Holmes? Yeah, totally the best Godfather. <laughs> it's not at all the third one, which is actually the best one, but I can't say that out loud. because well, yeah, uh, p- Please say it out loud because I'm here for the clicks. Why? I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. The Godfather Part 3, why is, in all seriousness, why is that the best out of all three Godfathers when almost everyone will say Eric Holmes? I can understand if you said Godfather Part 1, the Godfather being better than 2. That's even controversial, but these are A++ movies. But the Godfather Part 3, Eric Holmes, why is it better than the first two installments of The Godfather? Well, I mean, first of all, it's it, it's hard to look. Francis Ford Coppola is a really good filmmaker. He's also kind of a uh, garbage human from things that I've I've heard with him and Victor Salva. However, just speaking on the movies themselves, <laughs> okay. speaking on the movies themselves, yes, sir. Speaking of the movies themselves, I, I like Godfather Three the best because that's the one where everything comes, everything he did like comes crashing down on him. I, I, to me, it's just more of a complete movie. Godfather one's fine. Godfather two's fine. In fact, the the whole Godfather trilogy, just in general, is kind of fine. But of the three of them, I like the third one the best because it feels like a more complete story to me. Or at least there's a there's an ending there, and uh, Michael Corleone finally pays for all the uh, damage he's done. Oh. And hopefully, one day Francis Ford Coppola will as well. 
okay, this is these are hot, controversial takes, or maybe solid takes from Eric Holmes. Godfather Part Three. Tell us what you think. If that is actually, let's go find people out there. I'm sure there are people who believe the Third Godfather is the best of the lot. Now let's get to our featured films. Intellect Theaters, January 13th, is this movie called Saint Omer, and it's an interesting movie. It's again, like I said, it's France's official uh, entry for the 95th Academy Awards, so it's very cool. It's also record-breaking because this this Alice, the director Alice Jopp, is the first black filmmaker to be nominated to actually enter and represent France in the international foreign film category. So that's really cool. Now, the actual plot line is it's mainly a courtroom drama centering on this professor slash novelist named Rama. And she's essentially attending a trial of a woman who has killed her daughter and you see what happens at the beginning she walks towards the local ocean and she well she kills her daughter by leaving her on the beach all by the baby's lonesome and the baby dies she is put into court and now it's rama actually witnessing the the situation on what's going on she's she's trying to actually look at the trial and observe it to see if she can actually get some kind of inspiration from this woman this woman is played by Guslaji Malanda, the actress, she's very good in this. We actually interview. I actually interviewed her this week on Cinematics. She plays Lawrence Coley, the woman who killed her baby, and she's on trial for the for most of the film. And Kaije Kagami is I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right is Rama, that aforementioned professor slash novelist. And it's about their the intricate relationship between the courtroom drama and what Rama gets from observing the actual trial. That is Saint Omer again directed by Alice Jopp. Let's start with you, Bruce Perky, on your thoughts on if this movie, which again hits theaters January 13th, worked for you. Um, I would say it didn't really fully work for me. Uh, there's a couple problems from, from my brain. There's a couple of problems with this movie. So first of all, you, you obviously start out knowing that the crime happened and who did it, right? So you know that Lorenz killed her own kid because she said she killed her own kid. So really, the, there's several questions you could have or several approaches to this movie. One is, what took her to that point? I mean, that's kind of the the big thrust of mainly her testimony. And I would say, what, about half of this movie, maybe even more than half of this movie, is literally just her character telling telling her story with her perspective on what was the reasons and why it happened. So part of it is, okay, discovering why this happened. The other approach could be that Rama, who is going to be writing a book, I guess, about this, Who's, who's kind of attending it with her own perspective is going to be affected and changed by what she sees and hears at this trial. So both of those valid could be really good stories. To me, it's missing some key elements that allows me to connect to either of those in story number one, which is finding out what caused her to get to the point of killing her own kid. I don't feel like we were given enough context. In other words, she tells her story, why she did it, but I feel like when you do that, you almost need to see either like different versions of reality, maybe flashbacks, maybe we are shown or told something that allows us to fully not believe her story or totally believe her story or recontextualize what she's saying. And I felt like we were kind of left with a lot of missing pieces there. And then part two, which is, you know, Rama and her, how she's affected and changed by this story. I really felt like I didn't understand that at all. She she watched it. I know why it's supposed to be affecting her. There's a very key moment where we're supposed to discover like, oh, why this is really affecting her and impacting her. But how she's impacted and exactly what's going on with her, I didn't think was really very clear at all. So for me, it's it's kind of a, uh, a big missed opportunity with a lot of missing pieces. Uh, that being said, the acting's really good. I thought the story itself could be really compelling, but I was only halfway interested in it. Eric Holmes, your thoughts on St. Omer? Um, uh, they're not good ones. First of all, I think the concept of the, uh, how the story is presented with, uh, Lawrence on the stand telling her story, this doesn't work as a courtroom drama. I don't know how courts work in France, which I'm guessing this takes place in. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Paris. Yeah. Okay, cool. So maybe courts work differently in France, but, uh, just her going on what, look, when she starts off, yes, I did it. 
Uh, like it, these are all things you said. You agree? Yes. Did you kill your daughter? Yes, I did. That's pretty much it. Pretty much wraps it up, right? Like there, there's no more. There's no more court to go. This and then uh, Rama's character, the the lady that's supposed to be taking all this down and is going to write a story about it. I think this conceptually would have worked better uh, with Rama interviewing the Lawrence, which is kind of what this movie wants to do anyway. So the courtroom setting threw me off. Also, the fact that uh, she basically admits to murdering her daughter, and then they go, the the uh, lawyers or whatever, judge, are asking her about, oh, what 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 about your childhood? I'm like, this is not a therapy session. This is a court of law. Let's, uh, you know, I don't care about her past. I don't care what brought her to, if you want to get me to care about someone that killed their kid, you need to come up with something quick, because almost right away, I'm not on Lawrence's side. And then as the movie goes along, it's like, why is this movie, why does this movie keep seeming to almost want to kind of apologize for that? It's like, oh, she killed the, she killed the kid and blah, blah, blah. And then this is why she did it. And look, all the reasons may be valid, but the simple fact is there's a uh, innocent child that died as a result of this. And there's almost no, there's no empathy for the, the dead child. And I think that's kind of gross. And it's, yeah. And then it's, uh, then of course it's a, uh, your quote, deliberately paced. Um, was this like a two hour movie? Two hours. Yeah. And there's like an hour worth of nothing in there. Um, we're, we're, you know, that, okay. The, there is one scene where they're doing the, the back and forth between the, the judge reading off something, then the, uh, prosecution, then back to the judge and the defense where they're doing the, uh, uh, jury selection. That scene was really cool. You know, there's some good cinematography here. Uh, acting's nothing wrong with that. In fact, a lot of the acting's really good. But I just think as a whole, this movie is just conceptually wrong. And the message just seems kind of gross, just in yeah. general. And yeah. and maybe there's a bigger message um, that I missed. That's entirely possible. But just as it is, um, I cannot get behind this movie at all. Everything about about it just kind of pissed me off. Saint Omer currently, as we speak on Rotten Tomatoes, it's running at two hours and two minutes. Forty eight reviews from critics receives currently a ninety eight percent rating from critics. Let's see what else. Also, for National Board of Review, it it won as one of it's a winner of one of the top five international films. That's why it has a lot of momentum going into the Oscars. Is possibly it might be nominated. Who knows what will happen. But it, would, it did receive the National Board of Review Award as one of the top five international films. What else does it have? It has a Chicago Film Critics Association Awards. It was a nominee for that. And it won something recently, winner at the Chicago International Film Festival for Best Screenplay. To Eric and Bruce's point, actually Eric's point that about an hour of nothing or whatnot, the courtroom drama will be a barrier to entry for a lot of people because a lot of it is centered on the testimony of Coley, that character Coley, played by Gusleji Malanda. And if you don't like long monologues, there's going to be a good chance you're going to find St. Omer boring. I I absolutely love everything about St. Omer. It's a work of art for me. The pacing, absolutely, as a courtroom drama, loved it, loved every second of it. But it is a, a weird recommend because it's one of these things that if you are into the vibe, you are going to get... You're going to really love it. And if you're not into it as regarding the monologues, the courtroom drama, the Eric, you're talking about a uh, theme that you might've missed, et cetera, et cetera. If you're looking at it from a certain level, I can, I don't know if I can completely recommend it, but this was completely catnip for me. Like Eric said, great performances from the leads. And I think Alice Jopp is mainly a, a documentary filmmaker. A lot of this is sort of docudrama cinema verite but with a little bit of interesting framework and composition so it's a beautiful mix of cinema and documentary i high the highest marks for me for this movie i i loved everything about it the final moments where which i'm not going to give away was a knockout for me just really not blew me away this movie yes it's about a woman who kills her kid and she's on doing the courtroom drama situation but it's also about two women two senegalese immigrants or um, children of immigrants and how they are trying to adapt to life in France. And both of them are a little bit displaced and how are they dealing with their own sense of displacement and their own relationships with their respective mothers, you know, yet. So it's a very layered film. It's a, it's a movie about mothers and daughters about generational trauma 
about what you can nourish, uh, about nurturing and what can you do to hopefully stem the tide and move on with your life. A lot of things I ascribed regarding with St. Omer. I loved everything about this movie. You're rating Bruce on St. Omer. Before I rate it, I would just say Belle, The Long Walk, Gagarin, Petite Maman, Sagasu, Paris 13th District, and RRR. Oh, and Holy Spider. Uh, That's a whole bunch of international films I just listed that could have been on there instead of that one. Um, Anyway, (laughs) two and a half. Two and a half for Bruce Perky. You're rating Eric Holmes on St. Omer. Uh, I would give this half star. However, if uh, you are uh, empathetic towards child abusers, such as uh, someone like uh, Francis Ford Coppola, (laughs) you're going to love this movie. This is totally your movie. Wow. Okay. That's half star from Eric Holmes. Bruce Perky gives it, what is it? Two and a half. I'm giving it an easy five stars, five out of five stars. St. Omer. If I actually saw it last year, it would have been one, one of my favorites of the year. A top 10 film for me. Easy. St. Omer again, 10, uh, five for me, two, 2.5 for Bruce and 0.5 for Eric Holmes as I'm reading his Google doc ratings. So yeah, I was, I was going to give it 6.9, but that would not be appropriate for St. <laughs> Omer, but five stars for me for this movie. Again, it's in theaters January 13th. This is actually the most hotly contested film I think we've had over the last couple of years. We'd love to hear what you guys over in the cinematics universe think of St. Omer. I think this is so brilliant, but who knows? You might agree regarding Bruce and Eric's take on St. Omer. Next up is a movie that is out in theaters in VOD January 13th. Full disclosure, disclaimer, Stephen Dorff, I'm a huge fan. I don't care what movie Stephen Dorff's in. <laughs> I might give it a five-star banger for everyone. Fear.com, five stars. I love Stephen Dorff. He's also in this with Emil Hirsch, Gigi Zambato, and it's directed by, I don't even know how you pronounce his name, Ryui Katamura? Katamura. Yeah. Sorry, Eric? Yeah. Ryuhei or Yuhei. Uh, there was a way to pronounce it that I can't quite get my tongue around, but Ryuhei. Okay, good. Very, very good. Ryuhei Kitamura, the director from the Midnight Meat Train. This movie is called The Price We Pay. Stephen Dorff and Emil Hirsch, they play a couple of seeming cutthroats or robbers who they, they go in to a pawn shop. They, they rob it. There's a person who gets killed. Everything goes haywire. They leave the pawn shop along with an innocent bystander played by Gigi Zumbato. And they go and they try to leave the area, everything. They're trying to make a a decent escape, but there's a roadblock and they have to turn off to the side road. And lo and behold, off that side road is a, I don't know, sort of a outhouse or actually not an outhouse. It's a pretty, it's a farm cabin. I don't know what it is. What is it's a barn with some, some, a barn with a lot of different, uh, it seems like just a barn from the outside, but there's a lot of other things going on that piece of land. They get there. One of the people are in, is the injured, the, the brother of Emil Hirsch. He has a, a wound on his leg. So that's a big deal. So they go there to for a couple of hours, seemingly to get the bullet out. And once they get the bullet out, they're going to leave. But this is a horror film. This is the price you pay, the price these people pay for actually going to a stranger's house. And most of them accept the innocent bystander. They're very bad people, supposedly. So what happens is they realize they stopped at the wrong barn and a lot of craziness ensues eric holmes i was thinking about what when i was watching this movie i was thinking this might be an eric holmes recommendation because of the way it was executed by kitamura am, am i right or wrong on this oh uh, you're right and actually after speaking of saint omer uh, i felt like i'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth actually currently i'm speaking out of all of my mouth so <laughs> but uh this uh this definitely abuses adults uh of all ages um but uh th- this also is presented as a kind of a b-movie which a lot of kitamura's movies are he did uh, midnight me train which is really good versus i have not seen versus in years but that movie was uh, a movie was pretty sweet and this one's um uh, probably mid-tier kitamura but i still liked it and of course steve dorf's in it and i i completely co-sign uh you greg as far as uh just loving steven dorf this is, and also in Kitamura fashion, it starts off, you think you know what it is, and then it just gets crazy, crazier and crazier as it goes. Doesn't get full on midnight meat train crazy, but it's kind of, if you've seen midnight meat train, I think you might have a good idea of what to expect with the price we pay. Um, this was, uh, really grisly, uh, really style. It was really stylized, like early 2000s stylized with the, with the green kind of color and the, the quick cuts in a lot of it. That might be a little too, uh, the filmmaking there might be a bit too dated for some people, but I don't mind it. Um, and I loved actually, it. I, I loved it. I, I loved it. The filmmaking behind this. All right. You know? 
Well, yeah. but I'm trying to think of the last Kitamura movie I saw, and I IMDb'd him just the other day, mm-hmm. and he's come out with a bunch of stuff. So I got some catching up to do on his movies because I am a fan. And I, I, again, this is not my favorite of his movies I've seen, but I still liked it. And I kind of want to go back and check out a bunch of his other stuff that I missed over the years. Okay. Were you surprised that you, I guess, maybe liked it, the price we pay overall? No, no. <laughs> as soon as I saw who was directing, I'm like, sweet. I cannot wait for this. So actually, actually, there was a bit of disappointment, but that's only because my expectations for Kitamura is so high. Okay. Bruce, I don't know about your reaction to the Midnight Meat Train, which you saw years back. I don't know. Maybe you even rewatched it over the years. But were you a Kitamura fan when you got, received the screener link for the price we pay? Were, were you expecting a good movie and, and did it deliver? I, I was expecting like maybe a, a good B movie, a three-star banger type movie. Um, I like Midnight Meat Train quite a bit. I like uh, Versus. Once again, I don't think I've seen Versus since shortly after it came out, which I don't know. What was that now? 15 years probably? Oh, At least. I think it came out in 2000, didn't it? Well, okay. 13 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I was like mildly looking forward to it. It looked like it'd be kind of good B movie fun. Uh, uh, I don't say it quite hits the mark for me, but I think this is one of those things where it's really your taste of B movie, whether it works or not, because you know, one person's three star bangers, another person's awesome movie or another person's not awesome movie. For me, this kind of falls short of the mark for a few reasons. I don't like the style of the look of it. I, that doesn't to me that, doesn't work at all. It didn't seem super fresh or I guess the energy behind it just didn't, it seemed kind of like this was tipping more towards the sci-fi original Sharknado style of things than it was towards the awesome B-movie, genuine B-movie side of things. It felt just too derivative and not an interesting way to me most of the time. I kept putting notes down to myself like Pleatherface. Oh, we got Pleatherface in here. Not Leatherface. We got Pleatherface. <laughs> we had things like, I don't know if this is intentional, but like there's a news report where they show the the kid not kidnapped or hostage taken uh, woman in this and she's wearing the same clothes she's wearing like in the movie. I'm like, well, what? How did that? Okay, well, whatever. It's supposed to be a B movie. I guess we'll let that go. Uh, the gore really disappointed me too. The blood didn't go look very good. The gore effects themselves didn't look very good. Um, I think they had one head that they could use to explode over and over again, which, okay, whatever. I, I was just overall not excited by it. Not excited by the price we pay. I was not excited to watch this movie. I ended up loving it. I really loved Kitamura's, just his approach visually. Maybe it didn't appeal to you, Bruce, or, or maybe it was dated, but I, I think Kitamura is a movie. I have not seen the Midnight Meat Trade and or Versus. And, and that, that's one, these, this is a director that after watching the price we pay, I definitely want to pick up and watch his other movies. As a B movie, I love the way this movie was edited. I love the way it was shot. I love the coloring of the film. I love the overall look of the price we pay. Emil Hirsch's character is absolutely bonkers, and he has some of the worst written dialogue period in in cinema history. It's just horrible. But I'm wildly just gonna miscast, wildly miscast. I thought he was. Fu- I thought he was fun. I thought he was fun because previously Emil Hirsch played a. They, they should have just flipped the two. <laughs> oh, they should have flipped the two. Well, Stephen Dorff. I mean, Stephen Dorff is great in this movie as well. He doesn't have too much to do except being. Well, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, he <laughs> he doesn't really. Emil Hirsch has some of the colorful moments in the movie. And it's it just really poorly written dialogue for his character. I, whatever. I had a good time watching him say his stupid lines. And maybe it's just intentional because that character, who is a pretty much a sociopath, psychopath, etc., does really stupid things. He's dice and Russian. He, he's just whatever in that character. I just, you know, maybe on a different day, I would have been in such a bad mood and it would have really hated Emil Hirsch's <laughs> character in this movie so much that I would have given the price we, we pay zero. But for some reason, I saw today, I was in a certain mood away about it. And I look, I'm not an ex- expert like Bruce or Eric when it comes to gore. I was fine with the gore, exploding heads, the grisly stuff that Eric was mentioning. I, I thought everything was well executed. I wish that the storyline itself was a little bit tighter. The characters in the bar, in the barn, Pleather Face, and there's also a little kid who is sort of the janitor or keeper of the area. I wish there was a little bit more world building, but that's just also an empty. That that's an empty um, insult or not insult. That's an empty complaint because it's only eighty five minutes without the world building regarding what's in the barn and all that stuff. And the, you do a, learn a little bit about it, but I just want a little bit more. But still, eighty five minutes. I was fine with it. I can watch this movie 
the way Kitamura, Kitamura works with the camera and the pacing and everything. I could see this movie again. I loved it. I, I can't believe I'm can't believe I'm saying this. And look, I have no interviews with any of these people. I have no stake in the price we pay. <laughs> there is no reason for me to give this movie four stars. Four stars for the price we pay. For me, I loved it. Every everything about it. Um, Eric Holmes, your rating on the price we pay. Uh Kind of leaning towards three star banger, but I, I think uh, Bruce is kind of right. So probably do three and a half on this one. I I love Stephen Dorff in this, and I I also like uh, Emil Hirsch. What was that movie that he was in with Jeremy Piven? That really bad oh, one. There? God. <laughs> Oh, right. I forgot. No, no, that movie is not going to get four stars for me, no so, matter what. I, yeah. So Emil Hirsch, like lately, seems to like to be seems to be gravitating towards these over the top characters, yes. and I'm kind of liking over the top Emil Hirsch. Hundred percent. That, there, there was that that movie that I can't remember with Jeremy Piven that he was in, where he was kind of playing a similar kind of, who's kind of doing similar acting things in that. This is a version of him I kind of liked. I. I liked him a lot more in this Stephen Doris awesome and it's it's you know it's kind of a good version of what it is but considering who made it I kind of expect a little bit more but it, it it was so fun I'm glad I watched it and I probably watch it again too Eric can you imagine what Kitamura would do with just a real like a huge budget can you imagine what kind of I just think he's I a mean, skillful filmmaker what, what I, was the what was the budget of Midnight Me Train that'd be interesting to see to find out because it had a good cast yeah. you know it had Bradley I, Cooper Greg, in it I I, I would Watch Midnight Me Train and come back and tell us what you think. Because oh, be really if cool. you like this one, Midnight Me Train's probably going to blow me away. Yeah. Your, family show. Your yes. brains might come out of your nose. Uh oh. Family show. Oh, family show. That brain's coming out of my nose. I don't know. Bruce, brains were not coming out of your nose with the price we pay, but what is your rating on this movie? Uh, my rating will be two stars, mostly because Emil Hirsch acting weird and tough and over the top to me is like Garth Brooks trying to be a brooding indie rocker. I just can't buy it. <laughs> God, look, Neil I have a Gaines. little. Uh, Neil, or is it what, Chris, Hirsch, Chris Gaines, Chris Gaines, Chris Gaines. Yeah. That's so funny. Bruce Berkey. So that is, what is it? Two and a half. Did you just say two and a half? No, you? Two, I said two, 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 two. I was trying to bump you up a little bit there. Uh, did you not say three and a half? Bruce, I don't know. Did you say three and a half? I've said, said that for movies half. before. Yes, but not this one. <laughs> you can type that, put that all together and make me say yes. Very, very, very good. Okay. So that is our two featured films. And I'm going to apologize to, to Bruce Perky because both of these were pretty much big zeros for him. Oh, hopefully next week, it'll be better for you, Bruce Perky. At least, Eric Holmes, you have a solid recommend with the price we pay at three and a half in theaters and on VOD January 13th. Now, let's get to our, our a little bit of a rewind recommendation situation. We have a movie called The Pale Blue Eye, which is recently, as of several days ago, it's on Netflix. I gave it a pretty okay review. If I recall, maybe three and a half. You know, uh, yeah, Christian Bale and what's the guy's name? It's Christopher Melling or something. He plays Edward, Edgar Allan Poe. Murder mystery on Netflix. The Pale Blue Eye. Eric, your thoughts on the movie? Did it work for you? And you're a fan of the director Scott Cooper? Yeah, the um, a, a similar to Kitamuro, this is probably on the lower tier of uh, Scott Cooper movies. But all those movies are pretty high for me. So even though this is lower tier Scott Cooper, it's still pretty high well look you it's know, interesting you said lower tier what why is it lower tier first I, off? the the story didn't quite the, there were some bits of the story that didn't quite uh make sense that like i don't understand the edgar Allan poe aspect of this i don't know what i can talk about without giving away spoilers but edgar Allan poe basically plays a big part in this murder mystery thing and i i guess i did and this is not even a big deal but i don't understand why they chose the character edgar Allan poe to be in this as opposed to just a you know just make up a character for the story um i'm thinking maybe here. it's inferred i think it's inferred that the event the, the events of what happened in the pale blue eye maybe really influenced him into becoming that writer because i don't want to get like you said you can't really so, talk about what happens so was but, this was any of the I, I didn't look up no, anything it's not, about this movie. Was this based on a true? I, no. I know it's based on a book, but is any of this based on? No, it's story? based on a book, but it's I guess it's inferred because of what Edgar Allan Poe learned throughout this journey of this murder investigation. Oh, okay. So Maybe, this would be like a he, uh, Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter kind of situation. Sign, kind of, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because of we can't, you and I can't really talk about what happens in the murder yeah. investigation, but I, um, I'm thinking maybe that's a loose. Maybe it's a loose thread. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if that worked yeah. for you. That kind of connection. Yeah, yeah, it's not a big deal. But uh, I will say I love the ending of this. I love where mm. this went. 
Um, okay. Because there was uh, the, there's some things that happened that we won't talk about here, but uh, I, you know, it's lower tier Sky Cooper, but that's still pretty pretty high for most other people's tiers. So, good okay, job. the pale blue eye. What rating would you give it, Eric Holmes? I'd probably go three and a half, four. Three and a half. 3.75. 3.75. Let's go three, <laughs> three and a half on Scott uh, Cooper's The Pale Blue Eye from Eric Holmes. Lower tier Cooper, but still a recommend from Eric Holmes. Speaking of Westerns, I'm having a feeling that if you're going to give the three and a half stars to The Pale Blue Eye, I don't know how you're going to feel about Nicolas Cage's The Old Way, where first, I mean, I'm hoping you're, you're like prisoners of the Ghostland rating on, on the old way. But how does Nicolas Cage for you fare as a gunslinger who is on a revenge trail to kill the gang of four, these four cutthroats who murdered his wife? He takes along his daughter with him in tow and he teaches her how to kill and use a gun, et cetera, et cetera. Was this rehashed for you? Was it a waste of time for you, Eric Holmes? What was it? Uh, well, it certainly wasn't rehashed. It was uh, a Nicolas Cage Western. And it, it, it has some weird things in it with him and his uh, his daughter. Like there, there's something that they, they got some like they're on the spectrum or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was I, I I didn't quite get that. But yeah, it's similar to the pale blue eyes. Like I don't know what that's supposed to do in there. But, you know, um, but also as far as Westerns go. Old Henry, I think, ruined Westerns for me because that movie is mm-hmm. so good that any Western that comes out after that is automatically compared to Old Henry. And so this is definitely not Old Henry, um, but it's got Nicolas Cage in it and it's got plenty of uh, odd choices in it. And I appreciated the odd choices. This would probably be this would probably be three star banger just because it, 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 it's a Nicolas Cage Western. Watch it. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. But it's it's definitely its thing. Definitely its own thing. Definitely its own thing. For me, the old way, currently in theaters as of this week, but it's going to be on premium digital and premium video on demand this Friday, January 13th. I'm giving it four stars. We also have to mention Ryan, um, Ryan Kira Armstrong. She was seen last year as the lead in Carrie. She's very, very good as the daughter of the gunslinger. She just really pops off the screen. That said, I'm going to be interviewing her in about 30 minutes. So I, I'm saying this, but I, I even without knowing how do, going to do the interview, really loved her in the old way. Most people, I think, will give the old way three and a half out of five stars or maybe three out of five. But I'm a huge Western fan. Again, it is a Nicolas Cage Western, but I really loved where it went with the mother, I mean, the father and daughter relationship and this indie Western dynamic. So love this movie, The Old Way. All right, now I, let's go. Real quick, I do want to uh, co-sign the uh, the daughter, the actress playing the daughter. She's great in this. And that last scene with her, it, it almost breaks the fourth wall a little bit. Like just watching her face melt from one thing to another. It was just, how how does how does an actor that young whole like just non-verbal acting off that well i have no idea but she was great in that well eric you want me to ask her that in about 30 40 minutes oh yes definitely <laughs> okay <laughs> look bruce eric holmes is doing my job he's, he's a better <laughs> he's a better interviewer than me we've already witnessed that eric holmes you're also a very very good interviewer speaking of which are you gonna are you gonna interview anyone this week eric yes. possibly oh yeah i got uh the the director for kids versus aliens and one of the actors for kids versus aliens and okay. we'll probably be covering that I don't know if we're covering that next week or the week after. I have to check to see when it comes out, but we'll be uh, reviewing Kids versus Aliens soon and just a couple of interviews to go along with it. The director is the guy, I believe, the director of Hobo with a Shotgun. So gives oh. you an idea of what to expect with Kids versus Aliens. I love Hobo with a Shotgun. You ever see that, Bruce? Hobo with a Shotgun? Yes, I have seen Hobo with a Shotgun. Okay. Was that an okay? Was that a Do you remember liking that movie, kind of, sort of? I like it okay. I think of a similar kind of style of a better movie to me would be Turbo Kid, but Hobo the Shotgun was same, okay. Same director. Oh, was it? Yeah. Well, Turbo Kid was a lot better than Hobo the Shotgun, so I'll go with Turbo Kid. <laughs> it's there Turbo Kid. Okay, so Bruce, you have a – you and Eric saw the menu. So, Bruce, you've watched it twice. Your, your overall thoughts on this film, I believe, it's currently streaming on HBO Max. Some people really were not – all about it. Some people thought that the movie itself was a little bit too trite. Is that, did you not feel that way? Obviously not. You saw it twice. No, I I think it's this, I think it's the expectation you go for. I think if you're looking for it to be really a a, a very, I don't know, I guess if you're looking for it to be like a really life-changing social satire, I think you might find it lacking. But I think if you go for it more as a um, satirical cheeseburger of a movie, 
literally and figuratively, I think you'll enjoy this movie. I think it's more of a fun ride than it presents itself to be maybe from the outside. And I think if you have that approach, you'll enjoy it a lot. And that's kind of the approach I took to it with my kid. I watched it with my oldest son and we had a ton of fun watching it the second time. And I'd, I'd say it's solid in that regard. Very, very good. Eric Holmes, you also jumped on board within the last week to see this movie, The Menu. Your thoughts? Yeah, I liked it a lot. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, not just her as an actress, but also her character. Her character is the glue that holds this movie together. Because without her, this movie is like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, because you need her as your uh, likable core, just, right? Well, not, not even so much... I mean, I guess she is like bold, but it's her, her character is the one that's kind of looking around going, oh, you guys are just full of yourselves. And like she it, it, like I, I'm watching all these like pretentious a-holes going around and then she's the one going, what? Why do you guys put up with this? I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> I want to hang out with Bonnie Taylor Joy. She she knows what's up. But uh, yeah, we, without her, this movie doesn't work. But they, I'm sure the filmmakers knew that, which is why they put her in there. So good job. But yeah, I, I dug the menu a lot. Okay, ratings on you on the menu, Eric Holmes. What do you got? What do you give it? I probably go four and a half. I, no. I was going to go four, but I I think I'll go four and a half on this because I think on a rewatch I'll like this even more. What about you, Bruce? I actually started out three and a half. Thought it was just perfectly good, but nothing special. And on the rewatch, I went up to four. So I think this has rewatchability, and I think it has a lot of fun. And I might even go up on it, but for now, I'll say four. Yes, Bruce. I'm glad you did that because you know what, Eric and I, we're going to actually ask you if you could do a rewind next week on the price we pay. Is that possible? On that, on that. <laughs> It'll no go comment to 2.2. <laughs> okay. So that is the menu currently streaming on HBO max before we get out of here. You know, we, we haven't done a musical segment, Eric, can you introduce this week's music music segment and who's, who's on board for this? Yeah. Pete rock that beat. Remove your hand from the box, and you die. That's in the box. Pain. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is Peter Beta from Middle Class Film Class. Check Check out his podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Really good show. So now our box movie, what is it, Bruce? And I apologize because neither uh, me or Eric jumped on board for this. Hopefully this is worth worth a watch for you. Um, it was The Pirate, uh, 1948. Vincent or Vincente, I don't know if which it is, Vincente or Vincent uh, Minnelli, I should probably know. It's a very famous name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the director. He also directed uh, An American in Paris and Gigi and a bunch of stuff. Also very famously married to Judy Garland. And Judy Garland stars in this with Gene Kelly. And boy, this movie. So (laughs) this is the epitome of, uh, this is 1948, by the way, of 40s Technicolor, big, you know, big uh, screen musicals with all the stars and all the glitz and all the, you know, it's very stagey. I mean, this is supposed to take place in the Caribbean and it's the most white <laughs> cast playing characters like Manuela. <laughs> Manuela is played by Judy Garland. You know, there might be some brown face in here. I'm just saying there might be a lot of it in here, actually. So you have to kind of go and take all of that into account if you're going to enjoy this movie at all. Now, this is also a huge failure, apparently, in the box office. This was, uh, you know, a lot of big actors, a uh, big director who had a lot of success before this. And this one just tanked. But if you watch it now, it's kind of a really, really interesting, fun failure. And I think to me, I'll tell you a little bit about what it is, and I won't go too far into detail. But to me, this is almost like a three-star banger of musicals, if you can imagine such a thing. So if you like musicals and you want to see an oddity in the old Technicolor era musicals, this might be one to check out because it's such an odd little movie. Uh, The basic character of Gene Kelly is Seraphin. He's kind of this uh, huckster, you know, rolling into town. He's got his troop of actors, almost like a circus, not really a circus, but almost like a circus. And, you know, comes into town and he sees Judy Garland's character who has been, you know, promised to the big fat, you know, mayor, you know, she's basically being sold off by her family to marry this dude. And the Seraphin guy by, by Gene Kelly comes into town and he's like, he wants her. So he, <laughs> she comes to his show. He hypnotizes her. 
she does a, a, an amazingly unhinged performance when she's let loose from the bonds of, you know, what she's supposed to be in society. And then from that point on, he has something over her because she, he knows who the real her, you know, real herself is. And then of course there's a, a triple identity, identity mixes. There's a pirate involved. Like who is the actual pirate? There's fantasy dream sequences with pirates and voodoo and flames. And uh, it's got the song, uh, make him laugh. But before make him laugh, it was called be a clown in this movie. And, Make Him Laugh was literally stolen directly from the song and put into another Gene Kelly vehicle, which is Singing in the Rain. So it's just a lot of weird stuff in this movie. If you like musicals and you like old school Hollywood, like done big, like very gaudy, this is something fun to watch. I had a fun time watching it. Um, so, and you, you, it's available online. So, which is really cool. Let me, let me look where yeah. you can actually get it. You have it. We will do the link on our show notes. There's a free link via archive.org. So yep. when we say archive.org, this is a legit link. So you can actually use this link to watch the pirate. So you would, this is probably what a three-star banger for you. It is. Then? It's a three-star banger. Now this is kind of like, I think, what was the movie that, uh, last week or the week before that Eric had where he said, like, it's a three-star? Oh, it was the um, <laughs> home, home, what was it called? Landlocked. Landlocked. Landlocked was a very specific three-star banger for Eric. This is a very th- specific three-star banger. If you hate old-school musicals, you will not have a three-star banger time with this movie. But if you kind of like old-school musicals or if you really like old-school musicals, especially with these iconic, you know, actors and performers, you will probably have a lot of fun with this, even if you think it's kind of preposterous and not the best musical from that era. It's it's still a lot of colorful fun. It's funny because, Bruce, are you a fan of the musical genre? It, it's And if not that much, then it, this seems like it's worth watching because you enjoy yourself. You know what I'm saying? It's... It's an enjoyable enough movie to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm on and off. I, I have some musicals from the era that I love, and then I have a lot of modern musicals that I love. So I'm not against musicals. I guess some people are less like it's almost like country music, right? Like, yeah, if it's country music, they just don't like it. A lot of people are like musical, they just don't like it. So I, I can love musical. I mean, I liked Annette last year, and a lot of people like cringed and ran for the yeah. hills on that movie. So I'm surprised that movie didn't get. A, I mean, it got a share of love, but I'm surprised people really were not on board on that as much as I was expecting. A, like a huge overwhelming response. We Regarding Annette, Eric Holmes, do you think the Pirate is a movie you're going to see? Um, yeah, probably. Well, really, more than likely. It, it sounds. Uh, it, anytime you get a banger <laughs> of any sort, you kind of you kind of got to check it out with just to just to at least dip your toe in. I'll give yeah. you another. You mm. could probably look up a couple numbers, and I could give you some guidance on that if you want to. You can skip some of it, but there's some really fun parts to be had in that movie. I'll give you a reason why Eric Holmes, you're going. To, you might eventually watch the Pirate because, like. Bruce was saying it's directed by Vincent Minnelli. My bad on that. I should have, I should have actually told you, Bruce. But I here I am. I'm I'm lost in, in the weeds here. But it's Vincent Minnelli. And look, watch, you, you're gonna go on YouTube and it'll be say Vincente Minnelli. But I've always learned it was Vincent Minnelli. That's the way we pronounce it. He is also the director, Eric Holmes, of a movie called The Bad and the Beautiful, which I believe oh, you love. I'm in. I'm okay, in. <laughs> okay. Before you're in, before you're going to do that, Eric, you're not going to watch actually the pirate, which Bruce is recommending as a three star banger for his box. But I am going to infiltrate the box family show and tell you to watch another movie from Vincent Minnelli. This is a movie called Two Weeks in Another Town. It was released in 1962, and check this out as far as a plot line. After spending three years in an asylum. A washed-up actor views a minor assignment from his old director in Rome as a chance for personal and professional redemption. Again, this was 1962, and Vincent Minnelli had two weeks in in another town as his unofficial sequel to The Bad and the Beautiful, because this is a movie about kind of old Hollywood, which Bruce was talking about being a fan of. So the reason why you could probably watch Two Weeks in Another Town is the washed-up actor from The Asylum is played by Kirk Douglas. So just FYI on that. That might be something you might want to watch. Okay. Definitely. Um, definitely. Okay. So thumbs up. And, and one of these days I've got to watch, really watch. I, I got to watch only the brave. That's the one. I mean, that's the oh. one Kirk Douglas movie I really need to see. Actually, maybe Bruce, you, you should put that on, on the box. That, that, that should be something yes, that, that should be put in the box. Yeah. Oh, not, not only the brave, only the braves, the, the one with the uh, Josh Brolin, uh, lonely are the brave. 
Yes. Thank you, Eric Holmes. Yes. Lonely are the brave. And we, by the way, only the brave. We did a special episode over Find Your Film. Check it out. It's somewhere in our podcast feed. If it's still alive, that's a really wonderful movie. And Lonely are the brave is one of Eric Holmes's favorite Kirk Douglas films, which Bruce and I have not seen as of yet. For some gosh darn reason, two weeks in a row, I still remember the show still needs to live on with one more segment. What's in the bleeping box, Bruce? What's in the box? In two weeks, when Anderson, yes. What is I haven't talked what? about a movie, though, yet. There's still one movie I didn't talk about. Oh, right. There's a movie. <laughs> it, here, I'm, I'm, here, I'm doing the erase on this. I'm kidding. Let's go, let, yes. So the skit continues. There's a movie <laughs> that is, oh, I, I, I screwed it up. What is that gem that you want to unearth before we get to the box? Yes. There's one, one movie I, I just discovered. This only reason I wanted to uncover this is I don't believe... I haven't heard anybody ever talk about this movie. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this movie. I never heard of it at all. This is one of those I'm scrolling through trying to figure out something to watch. I don't have anything on my mind. I'm not really driven to watch anything. And I came across this movie called Woman at War from 2018. I'm like, oh, what is this movie? It shows a woman. You can see it behind me if you're looking at the video. There's like a, what is it? A power pylon and the outside. And there's a woman with a bow and arrow. Uh, this is a Ukrainian Icelandic co-production from 2018. Uh, and how does this movie start? Well, this movie starts with a woman, just like you see in the picture behind me, if you're looking at it. Uh, she's kind of, uh, she's probably like 50, 55. She's just hiking through the Icelandic, you know, outback or what do they call it up there? Not the outback, but you know what I mean? She's out hiking around. She has a bow and arrow. She pulls it out. It's attached to a cable. She shoots it over some power lines. She drags the cable up so that the metal part of the cable that she's dragged up goes across the power lines and shorts them out. Because she is an eco-terrorist. And then she quickly runs away from that back to her normal life. Middle-aged, single, choir teacher in Iceland. The entire country is after her because she's halfway shutting down their their system by doing these eco-terrorist acts. And this movie would say, okay, well, this is weird terrorist. This is this weird, like, dramatic social commentary movie. Eh, kind of. It's also kind of a dark comedy. It's... Very unique movie. I've never seen a movie quite like this, or I haven't seen a movie quite like this for quite a while. Came out of nowhere for me, and I think this is a really interesting find. I think this is really definitely a hidden gem. If you have never heard of this movie, it's on HBO Max. It's an easy watch. It's like, I don't know, hour, 40 minutes. There's also some really cool stuff with the score in this movie that you might hate or you might like. I could see Eric being really annoyed by it, but I think if he sticks with it, he might end up liking it because it could almost tip into that Wes Anderson-y style in that not not in the style of the filmmaking, but the score. So she's walking along and there's just literally like a little folk band behind her. Everywhere she goes, every so often, oh, there'll, be these, there'll be these three dudes back there just playing the music and it becomes part of the score. It sounds terrible, <laughs> but it works. I'll give it a shot. You said yeah. it well, but as soon as but, you said like the, the folk band following her, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's really Black weird, uh, but I, I love this movie. Black comedy a little bit, sorry, black comedy a little bit, or is it more the tone? Yeah, a little bit of black comedy. I mean, it's 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 not like ha-ha comedy, but there's definitely some some levels of, of comedy in there. Um, and even to some degree, it even slightly tips into almost action territory too. There's some moments where she is trying to evade people and it's pretty well done. It's I, I, I like this movie quite a bit. I think it's, for people who have never heard of it and come across it, they might find themselves really pleasantly surprised by this kind of out-of-nowhere movie. Okay. That is a gem from Woman at War. And there's also an Asian-American at war with himself. His name is Greg Trzevosti. On his <laughs> Gmail, he has he, I, he's promised for the last two years to clean it up. I remember I was at Anderson Cowan's Cold Cockle production cold cockle productions years ago, maybe four years ago. And back then I told Anderson, I'm going to clean it up. By then I had only about 90,000 emails on my Gmail. Now it's gotten up to about 122,000 now that I still haven't cleaned up as as I'm wont to do while Bruce is doing this really interesting gem-like review for Woman at War. I just opened up an email from October 4th, 2018, offering up a director, Benedict Erlingson, for an interview from Iceland for Woman at War to spotlight the awards coverage from 2018. So I just want you guys to know how professional Greg Srivasti is as far as opening an email like a message in the bottle four years later. But let's not talk about my horrible uh, behavior. Let's talk about what's in the box for two weeks. We're not going to do the box next week with Anderson, but in two weeks. What is it? What's in the box? Two weeks from now, there'll be a movie in the box from the box that we're going to watch. What's in the box? 
I don't know. Leave me. A, I, I I wrap the little things way too tightly. Oh my goodness! Uh, yes, I know. I'm waiting for the joke. Um, <laughs> it's a family show. family show. Oh, by the way, I asked Eric. Did you know this? I asked Bruce. I said, "Hey, you know when we actually interview, one of the questions that I'm I'm gonna do is when I ask actually ask actors to name a movie from their body of resume to recommend that they feel is underrated." And Abraham Ben Ruby mentioned Oliver Stone's U-turn. I go, "Hey, yes. Bruce, let's let's put U-turn in the box." No response from Bruce. What, no, I thought I said, yeah, that I would. <laughs> yeah, I could do U-turn in the box. I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through. So no, it'll give okay. me an excuse to force myself. <laughs> <laughs> Family show. Very good. Very good. All right. The movie is 2014's The Drop by oh. Michael R. Roskam. Mm. Who recommended? Do you remember who recommended it to you? Nope. Okay. Yes. No. Oh, well, you can. Some right of these now. are just literally people talk about them on the page at some point, and I just write it down. So, okay. Well, I'm going to talk about it right now. There's an Oliver Stone movie called U Turn, suggested by Abraham Ben Ruby from what movies, Eric Holmes? What movies? Two movies? We, talk, we talked about this off air. He's in uh, Christmas, Bloody Christmas. He's the, the Santa Claus uh, robot. And I didn't know that was the same guy from Parker Lewis. And it, I, I told you about that. I was like, you know, just watching Christmas, Blade Christmas. And as soon as I saw the, the interview or uh, the interview, and he's also in uh, uh, the old way. And I was like, oh, that's that's the guy that played Santa Claus in Christmas, Bloody Christmas. So <laughs> I, it was a, uh, yeah, it basically just everything came flooding into my head and I got all excited about it. We all love Christmas, Bloody Christmas. Final thoughts before we go, Eric Holmes, let's start off with you. Yes, sir. I do want to point out that the plane with Gerard Butler comes out this week. Mm-hmm. And um Gerard are you going to be Butler's, in theaters? Are you going to be in theaters? Okay. I might be and I'll tell you why you might be as well. You won't be, but I'll tell you why you might be. <laughs> but uh Gerard Butler like he lately he's been like with uh Den of Thieves and Greenland. He's got he's been having these movies come out where you look at the you look at the trailer and go that looks stupid but then you watch and go actually that was that was a lot better than it had any right to be. Of course, but the yes. plane also looks stupid. But I'm going to give it a benefit of the doubt, especially since the screenwriter is from the contractor with mm. Chris Pine and Ben Foster. So I'm hoping that the plane's going to be one of those movies that's better than the uh, trailers make it out to be. I I remember liking the contractor. I feel that movie's underrated. So as okay. far as it's streaming on Paramount Plus, that that ended up being. I think we all gave it kind of a meet a medium solid review, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, 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 the contractor. No one ever talks about that movie. So, okay. That is that is good. Eric Holmes, final thoughts from Bruce Berkey. Uh, I'm going to just value add the rest of the show with one little thing. If you haven't watched it, you should go out and watch the teaser trailer for Bo is Afraid, the brand new Ari Aster movie coming out in April. You will not be expecting it to be what it is, but you will also probably, if you're like us, be even more excited than you thought you were going to be. I, oh. I would almost recommend don't watch the trailer. Just wait for the movie to come out and let it. Yeah, just trust let, us. Let, let, let it hit you. Let it it's, hit you. It went places I did not expect it to go, and I was like very excited when I saw. It. I was like, "Wow, it's going to start doing things like that." I, I this looks crazy. Thank you guys so much for supporting all four of us here over at Cinematics. Again, like we said at the top of the show, Anderson Cowan will be joining us for next week's program. And we'll, go, we'll get back to the box in a couple of weeks. Again, thanks again for your continued support of Cinematics and enjoy your week watching movies. Take care. Hi. First of all, Abraham, there's two. You know what? You've been in my life as a cinephile for the last month because playing Santa and now in this great Western, what is the last, I guess, month or month and a half been like for you regarding just the release of these two really solid and entertaining films? <laughs> that's very kind of you to say um it's been super fun uh uh we went we had a nice big premiere for christmas bloody christmas at the at a big um movie festival called beyond fest that's put on by the american cinematheque uh and that was really cool a big old theater with like a thousand people and um and christmas bloody christmas is a uh san a robotic santa claus sci-fi horror action thing that we shot on 16 millimeter film with all practical effects and that it's been super fun to see people's reaction good and bad um and then uh really excited for the old way to open today right now um uh you know 
the difference between the two is the old way uh, I filmed about, we filmed about almost a year and a half ago and Christmas, bloody Christmas. We just filmed earlier this year. So or earlier in 2022. So it was interesting to have those two come out so close together. You know what, you really know what a good Western is thanks to open range. And is, did you see, what did you see in this movie that you wanted to be a part of? Because you, you are a Western expert and I really loved, even with, I'm, I'm assuming a limited budget, there was a lot of scope to this film as well. Did you see that when you just took onto this project or were you surprised throughout the process? No, in fact, that was a big part of what made me want to be a part of it. I love, I love the Western genre and obviously my experience on open range, uh, you know, it made me appreciate that even more. Um, so I had seen our, um, the director, Brett Donahue posted on his, uh, on one of his social medias, uh, a picture out, out the window of the church that they have built uh, at this beautiful place called the Yellowstone Film Ranch, which is just north uh, of Yellowstone National Park in Montana. And I saw that vista, and I wanted to go there and ride a horse and and shoot a sheriff and and have fun. And uh, uh, I love being on location, and I really I really appreciate the opportunity to see beautiful geography like that that I wouldn't get to see normally. I'm the lazy person eating popcorn watching your westerns. What is it like to be on location? Is it grueling? I'm sure it's gratifying in a creative sense, but is it like battling the elements in a way because you're out there and just in the middle of nowhere, or am I just uh, making things up here? No, no. I think you, I think you know better than you're leading on here. I think uh, you've seen enough behind the scenes to know that it can be very grueling. Uh, It depends on the movie. I mean, our, um, the old way is a is a, a low budget movie, and so if there was mud, we had to tromp through the mud. You know, on a higher budget movie, they might lay down the, the blue carpet for the ladies to walk across or something. <laughs> but um, I like being out in the elements. I actually, I'm actually more comfortable in that way than I am usually on a soundstage. Uh, the soundstage can be kind of stuffy and a little bit too much of a controlled environment and get a little too comfortable. I like to be a little uncomfortable as an actor. You know, with respect to Nicolas Cage, your director and the gang of four great, all great actors. My biggest surprise was Ryan. Can you just talk about working with her and her stuff just leaps right off the screen and all due respect to the ensemble. As much as I love Westerns, that was the biggest surprise of the old way for me. Yeah, and I think that was true in the script as well. I mean, it's just such an interesting character, and the way she plays it. Uh, you know, her father is a, a very uh, uh, well seasoned actor as well, and they work together extensively. In addition to Ryan working with Nick Cage and uh, and our director Brett, and yeah, man, she's uh, she's something else. I love to see kids, fearless kids like that, who just dive in and are in the full pretend world of it, but also understand that they can't be, you know, they can't be on their iPhone or their mobile device off in the corner. They've got to be present, and she certainly was that. And when you see the movie, there are moments that she just has the natural, the it factor, right? Where uh, you can't teach that to a kid. You can't practice that. They either, either people have it or they don't. And she has. I'm sure over the years, you've been asked the the ER question. And the, that requisite question is, what did you take from your, your years of ER that helped you in your approach to your craft? But I'd like to take a step further. Maybe, am I assuming that maybe you started laying down those bricks with Parker Lewis can't lose. You may, you might have learned some lessons along the way that led you to ER. So I'm just kind of rejigging that question because you had a long run on both those shows. What did they give you on a on a foundation level as an actor? Well, uh, Parker Lewis can't lose for me happened um, really early in my career, and I, I consider that my my time at university or college. Uh, I learned all about the camera work and how to act with the other actors without having the camera be a distraction. Uh, I learned what each each department did. And so if Parker Lewis was my college, then ER was my grad school. No question. We had, um, you know, we had so many, so many accomplished actors come through there and to watch those guys become huge international stars uh you know to watch Noah Wiley go from he had done a couple movies to being the star of a tv show for 15 years and now he can't go anywhere without I can't go anywhere without seeing Noah Wiley's picture on the wall (laughs) 
my wife and I went to Florence, Italy, and we were at some leather workshop, and there was Noah Wiley, his headshot beaming at me from the wall. Pretty funny. Yeah, and my final question is that for Christmas, Bloody Christmas, what was it like just to play Santa, but then also the fact that Begos does not suffer fools when it comes to characters, you can be so attached and that character can immediately die. Is that what you loved about this along with shooting on 16? Yeah, for sure. And just a super fun movie to make. And I love the movies that Joe Begos makes uh, and the style of film that he is is pursuing. Yeah, man, I, I got to chop up people with an axe dressed as Santa Claus. <laughs> it's a good time. That's amazing. You know, just a couple more questions. Right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite movies? And what is it about this film that still resonates with you? Because it seems like you're a cinephile. You just rolled off the whole Cage filmography, a bunch of them, you know, so. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a cinephile. I I do appreciate, I do have a great appreciation for the art of cinema. Um, I have a weird, uh, broad range of taste. It's, as you know, it's impossible to pick one. I've been lately thinking a lot about a, a, a movie called The Babadook, which is a horror film uh, from Australia that I think is one of the, it's definitely in my top three from the 21st century and well, everybody's watch. What made it special? You know, I interviewed Essie Davis about a year ago and I still hadn't watched it. So, but why would you recommend that film as far as? Why would you interview her without watching it? Because I'm an idiot. So (laughs) I apologize. No, no, not at all. I love the movie because it's, it's, it's scary. It teaches a lesson and it's like a twisted fairy tale in like the, the tradition of the Brothers Grimm. Um, and I think that stories that use darkness to remind us of the light we have inside of us are a good way to experience that kind of uh, uh, lesson. We're both Gen Xers and wondering for you, has your approach to what you do as an actor changed over the years as you've matured, as you know, we, life happens to, to us? So how does that inform what you do and your approach to it? Yeah, I can't look at a script anymore without my reading glasses, first of all. <laughs> I just so, got bifocals two weeks ago. So it's horrible. Of course. No, my, <laughs> I, you know, I feel sorry for the people who have had glasses their whole lives. It's definitely changed. Uh, there was, you know, a lot of it is exploration until you get to a point where you've done enough um, repetitions of of the craft to uh, some some choices come easier. Uh, understanding the material comes a little bit easier. And I think that's true uh, in any profession. You know, if you're going to be a chef, you have to chop a lot of onions before you're making those nice little dices. And I think that works for acting as well. You know, it's repetition. All of human life is pattern recognition and repetition. So final question, Chris, there's Christmas, bloody Christmas. There's the old way we mentioned open range. You've had a diverse body of work over your career for our listeners. Can you name one of just can, right off the top of your head? Can you name a movie from your, or, or a project that you would like them to check out that you feel is maybe underrated as far as your mm-hmm. body of work goes? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. There's an Oliver Stone movie called U-Turn that I have a little thing in with Sean Penn that uh, it's a pretty unique film. And there's a lot of, uh, it's a young Joaquin Phoenix in that movie, a young Claire Danes in that movie, a a young Jennifer Lopez in that movie. (laughs) We cannot forget that part of it. Um, So I'd say go check out U-Turn and uh, it's probably streaming somewhere near you. Really love the old, Abraham, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Greg. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.